Go ahead and turn to Luke 14. We're going to continue on there this morning. And uh, just as a reminder, we have our Thanksgiving festival tonight, 5 o'clock here at the church building. I think just personally, this is one, one of my favorite things that we do. Great food. We have a, a devotional as we're all eating together. And it's just a great time to be together and give thanks for the, excuse me, the, the wonderful things that God is, is, continues to bless us with. And so there's sign-up sheets in the back in the foyer. Um, just a, we usually run out of food, so not really. There's never run out of food. There's plenty of food. Sign-up sheets in the back. Show up at 4 if you'd like to help decorate. But it's a great time that we can come together and, and have a great festival. I need a drink of water. Can somebody grab me a drink of water? <coughs> Thanks. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, you don't want to hear me cough into the microphone the whole time, I'm pretty sure. So, um, I will continue to talk as best I can here for a second. Oh, thank you, Gary. Oh, Gary to the rescue. Hang on. Okay, will this work, Gary? We'll give it a shot. Okay. All right. Um, <coughs> if you remember last week, there was, we talked about the festival or the Feast of God. And there was people were able to come. The idea was people can come and, and everybody is welcome at the Feast of God. And, uh, and no matter where you come from, what your past is, what your history is, you're welcome to come to the Feast of God and be able to participate. And uh, thank you, Staley. Wonderful. You know, Staley hands you something like that. I just got to make sure it's water. You can put salt in it or weird stuff like that. So we're good. Okay. We're set. So that's, you remember we talked about that last week? As you come together, the great feast of God, that would be a, just, a, just a wonderful time. And some of the Jews thought that, oh, this is going to be a time where Jesus brings the Jews together and then, and then wreaks havoc and, um, and destruction on the Gentiles. And God says, wait, 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 wait a minute. The feast of God is for people of all nations, all backgrounds, wherever they come. They want to, that accept Jesus and his message and we're able to come to the table. And so here we have uh, Jesus continuing on as he's walking down the road on his way to Jerusalem. And um, in verse 25, he says, large, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And so he turns to them and starts to speak. So that's the context here is, is there is, he's, he's left the house of these, these religious, the religious leader, the Pharisee. And he is walking down the road and there's large crowds that are there listening to him. And listen to what he says here. He turns and he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So, okay, we've got that one dialed, right? We've got it all figured out. So what Jesus is telling us is that if we're going to come to him, we've got to hate the people around us. Okay, that's what's happening. And there's got to be, there's part of me that every time I read that, I think, ah, wait a minute, That's, that hits me a little wrong, that hits me strange, because if God is love, and Jesus talks about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbors yourself, and that's how we're supposed to operate, and then he turns around right here and says, if you don't hate your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple, I think, wow, how does this work? Is this a contradiction? What, what's happened? Is there some, what's the confusion here? And what Jesus is doing, he's using hyperbole or exaggeration in order to make a point. And he is, uh, let's, let's turn, if you've got your Bibles handy, go ahead and turn to, to Matthew chapter 10. 
Turn to Matthew chapter 10, because Jesus says something similar here. And remember, a lot of these teachings of Jesus, he would teach one place, he'd teach the next place, he'd teach in homes, he'd teach as he was going down the road. And so Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, it says, Anyone who loves their father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take their cross, take up their cross, and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So, let's go back to Luke 14. So we see something similar here, is that Jesus says, if you love your family more than me, you're not worthy of me. And so Jesus, you can imagine that this crowd's following down the street, and he's walking along, and he turns around and says, hey, if you want to follow me, you've got to hate your family. He can imagine the response of people saying, what, what, what is that? What did Jesus just say? And he goes on to explain here. But what he's doing is he's using a device in order to really get people's attention. Is that if you're going to follow me, that God has to come before self and family. And boy, that's a, that's a tall order that he's, he's asking for here, but that's a, exactly what he's, he's, he's sharing here. Is that this, if you're going to follow me, it's going to take commitment. It's going to take you really deciding that you're all in. And he goes on, he continues to say, and you must carry your cross. Okay, we know that Jesus was executed on a cross. That phrase was used, someone that had to carry their cross, is someone who is going to have to endure punishment and even to the point of death. And that's what Jesus is sharing right here. And so you can imagine the crowd as he is going, walking along, mumbling to each other, thinking, wait a minute here, what is he talking about? Is, we're already the people of God. What does he mean that we have to carry our cross? What does he mean that we have to put God above self and family? And how does that look? What are we, how, how are we supposed to walk through that? And so what Jesus has done is planted this seed in their hearts that is going to be germinating, it's going to be stirring inside of them to say, what exactly is this about? What does this look like? How on earth am I supposed to do that? stuff right there. And you can imagine some of them are sitting there thinking, wow, you know, I've gone through life, I've got a great family, I'm wealthy, I'm set up, and I'm not sure that this makes me very comfortable thinking about the things that Jesus is about right here, is that he has to come before self and family. Boy, that I'm not sure what I think about that. And carrying the cross, I've got enough burdens without carrying a cross as well. I'm not sure what I... I'm going to do about this. And the uncertainty that the crowd must have felt as they're following Jesus right there is probably the same uncertainty that some of us have felt at different times in our life. We'll get back to us here, here in a while. But let's continue on here. As Jesus, and, and we're going to come back and unpack some of this some more. But verse 28, he says, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. So, there's a a cost of following Jesus. And the analogy he uses is, if someone builds a tower, like they would have a vineyard, people would have a vineyard and, and a garden there, and then they would build a tower just to be able to watch over that vineyard. And so you can imagine if someone goes along and says, hey, I've got this vineyard, I'm going to build a tower so that I can protect it. And they start laying the bricks and it goes up and it goes up and goes up and, and continues. And at some point in time, the owner comes out to the workers and says, uh, uh, I know the tower doesn't have a roof on it, but I'm uh, out of money and we can't work on the tower anymore. And so the workers stop working 
Like, can you imagine people walking by saying, <laughs> wait a minute here. Oh yeah, that's the guy. This is what reputations are built on. That's the guy that built that huge tower, or he tried or thought he could build this huge tower, started up, and then he was, had, to, had to stop building because it turned into this, he, he ran out of money. That guy, you remember that guy? Isn't that hilarious? And he becomes a source of ridicule from then on. How many of you started something you weren't able to finish? Yep, you know, all of us have those, those times. There was where my aunt and uncle lived in, in Lubbock, Texas for a while. There was a neighborhood that overlooked this, this lake, beautiful, nice community. And there was a, a gentleman out there that decided he was going to build this gigantic, gigantic house that was just massive. Started building, started building, and it was one of those, those new age modern houses that didn't look like the, the rest of the houses in the area. And he got up to where it was about two-thirds built, and he ran out of money, and he stopped building it, and it looked like a dinosaur with his head cut off or something. I mean, this thing looked, it, it was not pretty to look upon, and it's up there with all these nice houses that are up there, and there's that thing. And so you can imagine in that community, the people were scratching their heads thinking, why on earth would someone do something like that? Who is this guy? What's wrong? Well, he ended up, he actually passed away of a heart attack not long after that, and, and just all the stress of, of all that probably contributed. But Jesus is making the point here is that if you're going to follow me, you need to make sure you're counting the cost before you jump in and say, I'm in. Because there's going to be things that, that, are, that are going to cost. Uh, he talks about loving him and following him more than family or self. talks about carrying the cross. He's talked about many things already about what it takes in order to follow him. And all of those, when Jesus talks about his kingdom, it's enough to make all of us think, hmm, I've got to pause and I've got to think about this. Because when we jump in and say, boy, I'm just going to follow Jesus, I'm in, hey, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, Holy Spirit, I'm totally in on that stuff, that sounds great, that's the best news in the world. That's absolutely right. But what Jesus is looking for is to have our heart completely dedicated to him. And that is the real question. And that is... um, what Jesus is telling people is, don't just jump in here like this is no big deal. You've got to realize that if you decide you're going to follow me, that there's commitment involved from the beginning to the end. Continuing on, in verse 31 he says this, Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Okay, so Jesus is making a point here. Is Here you've got one army over here that has 20,000 people. There's an army over here that has 10,000 people. If you are the commander of the army of 10,000 people, are you going to go up against this army of 20,000 people? You better really think about it if you're going to, because if you can't win, you better send for terms of peace. In other words, it's costly not to consider following Jesus. There was a, I think about, a, you remember, it was, it was a while ago now, there was a, a gentleman from Hawaii that actually um, created quite a stir that he went to Japan and he became a sumo wrestler. He, wasn't, he was the first non-Japanese a sumo wrestler, sumo wrestling world champion. And within the, the discipline of sumo wrestling, there's not classes. Everybody's just in there together. And this gentleman from Hawaii was over 600 pounds. 
And so what happened is he was just so much larger than everybody else that he just would grab him and throw him out of the ring and he won the world championship doing that. And I often thought, I remember when that was happening, seeing the pictures of this big Hawaiian guy standing there in the, uh, in the ring and across from someone who is much, much, much smaller, I would have to think that that person thought, you know, I'm just going to leave and get out of this ring because you weigh three times as much as me, man. I'm just not going to do this. This is a bad idea. And so that same concept there is what Jesus is getting across is just because it's hard to follow Jesus, just because you have to give up to follow Jesus does not mean that you should walk away right now because the consequences of doing so are, are grave. What about Think about this. There's all sorts of obstacles and excuses that we come up with last week. We, um, there was, we talked about the, um, the um, festival or the feast of God. Is someone, one of the first people that didn't show up at the festival said, I just bought some land and I've got to go uh, take care of it. I, or another one said, I've just bought some oxen or I've got to work. And I don't want to go see how these oxen pull. I want to do that. Or another one said, I'm just married and I, I can't come. And so all of those people took whether their, their, their place of living, their work, or their family situation to say, Ah, oh, you know, I'd like to come to the feast, but I just can't do it now. I've got so many other things going on. And there's so many things that we can think about that, that become obstacles of following, or, or questions that we ask. Is, For example, if we, if we say, well, I'd love to follow Jesus, but man, now is just not the time. I've got too many other things going on. Or, you know, I'm, I'm a good person, aren't I? Can't I just follow Jesus on my own terms and do things my own way? Or, I... Now, I just love to worship God out in creation, which I get. That's just not the whole picture. God expects more of us than that. And so all of these things, Jesus is walking along, and these people are asking these questions, and he's, um, he's explaining it. And he says something else. He uses one more analogy here of salt. How many of you like salt on your food? In moderation. How many of you like it more than moderation? Yeah, oh, you like your salt, Mark. Salt on your salt. You eat salt and you put salt on your salt. Okay, that's good. We need to talk afterwards, Mark, right? That's good. That's, um, I mean, salt is good. And it's good because it brings out flavor, doesn't it? It brings out the best of, of the food. Because you don't really eat salt, do you, Mark? You put salt on your salt. Okay, we'll talk about this later. All right, some of you do, apparently. Okay, we will have a confession session afterwards and, you know, whatever. Now, there's typically what happens is people are given food, we get, we get food, we put salt on it, and it brings out the best of whatever's in that food, right? And so if you have pasta, a good red sauce on it, oh, that's wonderful. Just a little salt brings out that flavor that much better, and it makes that red sauce better. Isn't that what's supposed to happen? And so Jesus says here, in verse 34, Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. Now that's bad if something is not even fit for the manure pile. It is thrown out. So let's talk about good salt and, and bad salt here for just a second before we, we bring this back to what does this, what does this mean for us? Okay, bad salt is, you, you put that on something, I mean, how many of you have had bad salt? I cannot say that I've had an experience with that. Maybe because of the world we live in, we've never experienced that. But I try to think of what bad salt would, would look like or what, what it would taste like and it, it can't be good. If it's not even good for soil or the manure pile, then, then it's got to be really bad stuff. And imagine putting that on food. What would your response be? You know, you see those 
videos of, of babies trying different foods that have those expressions. That sort of expression is, is what would come out. And so think about this. Is Jesus' point here is bad salt ruins everything around it. So if we are spending time a lot around somebody that is very, very materialistic, what is the tendency of what's going to happen? Is I'm going to become much more materialistic. Or if I'm around someone who is negative and sees the fault in the people around them constantly, then I'm going to become that way and I'm going to look that way. If you're around someone that has a divisive streak that tends to take issue with, with the people around them and, and conflict and all of that, then what happens is we become like that and we start looking like that. If I'm around somebody who is complaining about how bad the world is, how bad this is, how bad that is all the time, what do we start looking like? We start looking like someone like that because bad salt wears off to everybody around us. And, but the other side of it is, Jesus says here, good salt seasons everything around it in a great way. Is that if we can't deny ourselves, if we're not even capable of doing that, then we cannot influence others to follow Jesus. It just doesn't go any further than that. And so think about these. Here's some, some qualities as far as good salt, like just that salt and a little bit of salt on the turkey that we're going to eat tonight or ham or whatever it is. It just makes that so much better. If I'm around somebody, if you're around people that demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, let's say I'm love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you're around others that demonstrate that fruit in their life all the time. What are you and I going to start looking like? We're going to have that fruit coming out of our lives. If we're around people that, that love others in spite of difficult circumstances and demonstrate that, what are we going to learn? We're going to learn to love others. If we're around people that are evangelistic and, um, and continue to share their faith with the people around them and we choose to be in their company, what's going to happen is we're going to see the importance of sharing the message of Jesus with the people around us, and we're going to do that. If we are around people that demonstrate honesty in life, even when it's difficult, then we start becoming like that. If we start, if we are around people that demonstrate generosity and the joy of being generous to God's church, to, to people that are less fortunate around us, whatever it may be, we start seeing that and we start becoming that way. We start, uh, if we're around people that, that demonstrate genuine humility, as they go through life. That isn't all about me. It's about God and whatever I can do to be a servant of God is great. Then we start becoming like that. There's all sorts of qualities. Just think about whatever good qualities. But the, the, the issue that Jesus is getting across here is that whoever we are and whoever we're around, we have a choice to be good salt or to be bad salt. If we are, are bad salt, we are going to, to share... Terrible qualities with the people around us. But he's sharing something here. If you want to be good salt, what it means is denying ourselves and learning to do that because otherwise we will get in the way of, of being good salt. We can't help it. But it takes us choosing to deny ourselves. So let's look at one more verse there. He says, he finishes up, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So I'm going to walk through for a few minutes here, some, some different obstacles in following Jesus. And all of us have them. But let me say this beforehand. 
Okay, I read something here a while back that I think is, is a valid point to consider. Is that in, in, many, in many places when you hear the message of God, come away with, you're not doing well enough to try harder sort of thing. Um, and, that's, and there's a place for that, and I think that's very valuable. But what's important here to remember is who is Jesus talking to? Jesus is sitting, he's not sitting around with his disciples saying, at this point in time, when he's sharing this, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. You've got to hate your mother and father, all that sort of thing. He's talking to this large crowd that is following him with many who have not decided to do that. And so I think on some level, and, and I'll refine this as I, I talk through here next little bit, is this message right here is for all of us. Okay? It is for all of us. But it's mostly, in this context, Jesus speaking to people who have not made that decision to follow Christ. Because I believe, knowing you, knowing this community here, we've thought through that. You have thought through that. You have walked through saying, I became a Christian and I knew that I had to give up and I had to sacrifice different things about, I, about who I was and who I, I wanted to be. I had to, to put all that to, to death. And so you've walked down this. You've experienced it. Okay. Now I want just to, to realize that because what I don't want you to walk away from this morning is, is, is nothing more than, all right, work harder and do better. Because th- there's, there's some shortcomings to that, okay? And I'll come back to that. But let's talk about some ob- obstacles before we get there. Our families can definitely be obstacles that keep us from following, following God. Um, I think about this as, there's a, I have a, someone that I know that has, has had the opportunity to give their lives to God and to follow them. And, and has so for years. Given the opportunity, has walked through Scripture, and, um, and this person has shared with me, I would do this, I would be on board with this, but if I choose to follow Christ here, then I lose out on my family fortune. Okay. What he's experiencing is, I could follow God but I lose so much to do so. And up to this point in time has said the cost is way too much. Okay, our families, even though they're wonderful, can, can keep us away from God. Um, some of you have had to make those decisions to follow God in, in, spite, of, uh, in spite of your families. And, and that's uh, something that God says the reward is great uh, when we do that. With my situation... My parents, I think I've shared, they were excited when I became a Christian and they were overjoyed and such like that. But there would have been a whole lot more excitement in my family if I would have become a Hindu or something like that. Believe me, there would have been excitement because that's not what my parents wanted for me. That's not the way they, they taught me. That would have been, would have been uh, pretty tough. But my parents, I could draw out, like Paul does in, um, in Scripture. He talks about, I was... Uh, Born a Hebrew, I was Hebrew of Hebrews. I was born, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. And he gives this list of all the good things, this poster child of, of what he, he was as, as spiritual righteousness. I could give something similar to that. I could talk about how I was born and within a few days, my parents had me in the church building. There's a picture that they have of me at Yellowstone Bible Camp when I was less than two months old. I mean, that's pretty spiritual stuff there, right? You know, take your baby to Yellowstone Bible Camp. And I have all those things that I could walk through. I went to Harding University. I've done all those things, all these, these great things that some could consider spiritual. And my parents provided an example for me and all that. But I'll tell you this, and I would, tell it, I would say it with my parents sitting here, 
and the same will be true with my children. My parents are wonderful people and gave a great example for me to try to follow God. But there's been a few different times in my life where I had to decide, am I going to make my parents happy or am I going to follow God? As wonderful as my parents are, that has been the case. And I don't believe that will not be the case for my children. At some point in time, as they choose to follow God, they will somewhere along the line say, I know that my dad says this, I know that my dad thinks this, but in order to follow God, I must do that. Okay? Because we're sinful beings that are in process of being more like God. And so there's, there's understanding that that's going to be a reality that all of us, no matter how spiritual our parents are, how spiritual our brothers and sisters are, there's times where in order to follow God, we have to break ranks and, uh, and, and, and make a different choice. And that's what, part of what Jesus is telling us here, is that opposite of the following God, uh, can, family can be a, a great help, but it can also be a great obstacle. So just to consider and to think about that. Also, uh, discomfort. Discomfort can be something that, that provides a, an obstacle for following Jesus. You know, whenever we feel bad or we're sick... Um, we have to sacrifice. There's part of us that says, nah, I think I'm just going to keep things at a distance. You know, there's, I know that in our world, um, I was at the Bismarck workshop this last week, and uh, some ministers from the north central states get together and we encourage each other, and, and I shared a, a message there as well. But one of the, the other uh, presenters talked about how, and he is someone that has lived outside the, the country, he says, something I've noticed about coming back to America and my people is that there is, we seem to somehow think that we are, it is our, our, our God-given right to be free of pain and to be, have a happy circumstance in life, whatever it may be. And he said, I think that can be really dangerous for us because when we feel discomfort, our tendency sometimes is to just blame God for that. And I think about someone who is, um, the analogy brought up is, just put yourself in a situation where you're there in the Roman Empire and you have heard the message of Jesus, and you are a galley slave, and you are chained to the bottom of a boat, and you have an oar in your hand, and you've come to follow Jesus. You know, they let you off the boat, and someone, as, as one of your fellow galley slaves, is teaching you about Jesus. You commit your life to Christ, you're baptized, you get back in, you're chained into the, that galley. And you are rowing across the Mediterranean and your job is to ram ships and, and do battle. And you know that for the rest of your life you're probably never going to feel comfort. You're going to have splinters, you're going to have pains, you're going to have all of that. Just think about what that perspective would be. Instead of, why has God put me in this situation? Your perspective might be, thank the Lord that I have become a Christian because the future is better than the past. So if my ship gets sunk tomorrow and I go to the bottom of the Mediterranean, I know I'm good. And my hands may never heal. My, the, the wounds on my legs may never heal. I may never be clean again in my life. But I know what matters. Is that Jesus came and he raised from the dead and I can do the same. And so be careful for all of us not to allow discomfort to, to be an obstacle in following Jesus. Or comfort. Now, we live in a world, I think this is something that, that really speaks to us, is, 
It's so easy in our world just to think, man, I'm good, I'm good, I don't need Jesus, I don't need that, I just need to worship creation, whatever it is, and, and pursue that. And there's all sorts of other ones we can think about, time, uh, we can pursue how, just uh, um, if we view time as mine, then what we do is we wear ourselves out, because we're completely out of balance. If we view the time we have as God's, that he's given us in order to honor him, what happens is he teaches us through scripture, to the lives of other people, that rest is something that's important. And the time we invest in, in people and in the around us, the, the, the more, the more we're, we're transformed to, to uh, be what God wants us to be. Uh, time, self, all of these things are, are different obstacles that, that just, uh, just get in the way. And there's a lot of overlap in some of these. But here's some things that I found helpful, thinking this week and, and just in life in general is remember this scripture, this is the last scripture there in uh, the section we're reading here. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Okay, so think about this. As people who are sitting here, and most of you have made that decision already to follow Christ, and you, you're thinking, well, I, I've made that decision to, to follow him, and, and I, I live that way, and, and I, I fall short, but I keep getting up, and I keep... I, I'm, I'm still struggling, and I still want to be what God wants me to be. Think about this. What is the one thing that you have trouble giving up to follow Jesus? Or what is the one thing that continues to be an obstacle for you that, keep, that just trips you up? Um, and all of us have them. Right? I think uh, I appreciate... Where's, where's Wrangle at? Is there in the back? I appreciate... You know, I've always... Um, Okay, I'm going to confess something here, Chris. I've always appreciated you and your transparency. I appreciate it very much. And um, uh, as Chris and I come from pretty different backgrounds, we have the same name. So if you walk up to us, you just say Chris, and you both of us will look. You know, that's pretty neat to, to be able to have that opportunity. But, but Rangel, I appreciate his desire to always keep getting back up and keep going. And he knows what his obstacle is. I, my obstacle may be different. Your obstacles may be different. But think about what is that one? What is that obstacle that I just keep tripping over? That I keep to I keep wrestling with. And here's something else to think about. Here's a from Luke chapter 16, verse 10. We're going to be there here in a few weeks. Verse 16, verse 20, 10. It says, "Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much." So I think about what Jesus is talking about here and saying, you must give up everything you have. You must be, um, you must carry your cross. You, all of that. Man, I think, oh, man, that, what would happen? What would happen? Would I really be one that I would give up my life in a flash like that in order to follow Jesus? Maybe we all wonder that at some point. I think that's good to wrestle with a bit. But what I see from what Jesus teaches here in Luke chapter 16 and what I've seen in life is that when we ask that big question, if somebody comes in here and says, will you die for your faith if you will line up on this side, if you will not line up on this side, and then executions are carried out, what would I do? What would you do? I think that, again, that's, that's something that's good to wrestle with. But here's the issue. 
If we're faithful with things that are small, then when we get to things that are big, it's very second nature. Okay? If someone is, let's take about, think about it in, in, in terms like this. Someone is, uh, has wrestled financially and has, has, been, um, has, has, has enough to live on, but not much more than that but never ever cheats on their taxes and is always completely honest in even the very smallest things. What do you think that person is going to do if someone shows up on the door and says, hey, you're in somebody's will, you had no idea, but you have been given a million dollars right now. Do you think that person immediately is going to turn crooked and go a different direction after 40 years, 50 years, whatever, of being honest and transparent with finances? Not likely. Not likely it's going to happen. If someone has been very unfaithful with small things from the very get-go and has financially and has, has been dishonest over and over and over again, and then someone shows up on their porch and says, hey, a million bucks, here it is, do you think that person is automatically going to turn and go the other direction and say, ooh, now that I've been blessed with something great, I'm going to clean up my ways and I'm going to do better? not going to happen. And so the key for us is that in everything, the small things, deciding... Even things that are small, especially things that are small that nobody else can see, that I think that nobody else is looking, I'm going to be faithful in those things because I know if I'm faithful in those little things right there, just just the little stuff, what happens is God is going to continue to transform me to look more like Him. And if there's a day that I have to die for my faith, or there's a day that I have this huge moral dilemma that I, I, I find myself in, I'm going to have a life of experience and a life of decisions that walk me through that. And I'm convinced that those big decisions for those, those Christians in the early church is that decision to die for Christ was probably a lot easier than we anticipate because they were doing the small things and making those decisions right for the teachings of Jesus. Here's another passage that... Um, that, that impacted me here recently, and so I thought I'd share with you along this, these lines. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 and 2, and Paul is sharing his heart in, uh, in the ministry that he's sharing with the Corinthians. He says, As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. I appreciate this, and it's convicting for me to what Paul shares this. He's saying, not tomorrow, not three weeks from now, whatever it may be, but I'm telling you, now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. And so the key for us in all of this is, as we walk through the teachings of Jesus, saying, what does it mean to follow Jesus? If you haven't decided to follow Jesus yet, then let's talk afterwards, because now is a great day to make that decision. I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to do that right now. If you've made that decision already and you're sitting there thinking, man, I could be so much more, then join the club, okay? The Corinthians, I'm sure when Paul wrote to them and all the messes that they were dealing with, felt, I could be so much more. But the key is not losing our joy through, through, through being convicted, but saying, what's the one thing that becomes an obstacle for me? I'm going to be faithful in the little ways, with whatever that one thing is, and I'm going to make the decision to do that right now. And when we do that, day in, day out, and not put transformational changes off, but we say, today's the day that I'm going to be 
walk a little closer to what God wants me to be. As much as I can, I, and, and I'm going to allow God's grace to, to take up the rest of it and to, to transform me to what he wants me to be. What happens is that's how lives of faith are built. Saying, what's that one thing? I'm going to be faithful with it in small ways, and I'm going to decide to do that right now. And if we do that as a community, as a church family, and we do that every day, then what happens is God continues to transform us, and we look different a couple of days from now, we look different a few years from now, and we're transformed and we look more and more like Jesus and we continue to live out the journey of the abundant life of Jesus in every day. And I pray that's something that all of us can be excited about and we can hold our head high and say, boy, there's a lot of things that um, God has not transformed me in yet. But even through my weaknesses, as Paul talks about in Second Corinthians, even through my shortcomings, somehow I want God to work and continue to live out the abundant life of Jesus. If you'd like to become a Christian today, or you'd like prayers of the church, you're welcome to head to the back. The elders are back there, and uh, they would pray with you and walk with you through whatever you may be wrestling through in life. And uh, we can go out this week, and we can continue to live the abundant life of Jesus. Let's stand and sing together.